Welcome to the Word Encounter, episode 163. We'll be picking things up in the book of Daniel in chapter 4, as we left off in chapter 3 yesterday. So let's get started without further ado. Let's drop down to verse 4. The title says, The Dream. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house and flourishing in my palace. I had a dream and it frightened me. While in my bed, the images and visions in my mind alarm me. So that we see that Nebuchadnezzar here has had a dream and he's a little bit shaken by it. And it says, uh, so I issued a decree to bring all the wise men of Babylon to me in order that they might make the dream's interpretation known to me. When the magicians, mediums, and Chaldeans came in, I told them the dream, but they could not make its interpretation known to me. Finally, Daniel, named Belteshazzar, after the name of my God, and a spirit of the holy gods is in him, uh, came before me. I told him the dream, Belteshazzar, head of magicians, because I know that you have the spirit of the holy gods and that no mystery puzzles you, explain to me the visions of my dream that I, that I saw and its interpretation. And so he wants him uh, again to explain to him the visions and their interpretation. In verse 10, it says, in the visions of my mind, I was, uh, I was lying in bed. I saw this. There was a tree in the middle of the, uh, of the earth and it was very tall. The tree grew large and strong, its top reached the sky, and it, um, and it was visible to the ends of the earth. And then he goes through some more descriptions of what um, his dream encompassed. And drop down to verse 13, it says, As I was laying in my bed, I also saw the visions in my mind, um, a watcher, a holy one, coming down from heaven. So Nebuchadnezzar is seeing an angelic creature coming down from heaven in, in his visions. In verse 14, it says, He called out loudly. Cut down the tree and, and chop off its branches, strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the animals flee from under it and the birds from its branches. But leave the stump with its roots in the ground and with uh, a band of iron and brown, bronze around it in the, tender grass, in the tender grass of the field. Let him be drenched with dew from the sky and share the plants of the earth and the animals. Let's go on. In verse 16, it says, let his mind be changed... Um, from that of a human, and let him be given the mind of an animal for seven periods of time. And so <clears throat> Nebuchadnezzar tells uh, Daniel this dream. and says, okay, what does it mean? <laughs> Danny boy, what does this thing mean? It says in verse 18, it says, this is the dream that I, King Nebuchadnezzar, had. Now Beth Belteshazzar, let me tell me the interpretation. The dream interpreted in verse 19. Then Daniel, whose name is Belteshazzar, uh, was stunned for a moment, and his thoughts alarmed him. So apparently he's being uh, told his dream, and, and it's coming to revelation with regard to what this dream means, and Daniel is kind of shaken by it. But the king said, Belteshazzar, don't let the dream or its interpretation alarm you. In other words, the, the king is saying, look, whatever it is, tell me. Let me know what it is. Belteshazzar answered, my lord. May the dream apply to those who hate you and its interpretation to your enemies. My Lord, may it be to somebody else, but not to you. I don't want to tell you this. Then he goes on in verse 20. The tree you saw was grew large and strong, whose top reached to the sky and was visible to the whole earth and whose leaves were beautiful and its fruit abundant. And on it was food for all under uh, under it. The wild animals lived and in it, its branches, the birds uh, of the sky lived. That tree is you, your majesty. 
And so he's telling, he's telling King Nebuchadnezzar, you know, that tree that you envision, that's you. Now let's keep going. Verse 23, the king saw, the king saw a watcher, a holy one, coming down from heaven and saying, cut down the tree and destroy it. This is the interpretation, your majesty. And this is the decree of the most high that has been issued against my Lord, the king. So he's telling them now, this word I'm about to tell you is against you. It's not for you. This is against you. It says in verse 25, you will be driven away from people um, to live with the wild animals. You will feed on grass like cattle and be drenched with dew from the sky for seven periods of time until you acknowledge that the Most High is ruler over human kingdoms, and he gives them to anyone he wants. And so Daniel is telling King Nebuchadnezzar, you're going to be flung out from the kingdom. You're going to be amongst the wild animals, living like a wild creature. Until, until you do this, you have to acknowledge that the Most High is ruler over all human kingdoms. In verse 26, it says, As for the command to leave the tree stumped with its root, uh, your kingdom will be restored to you um, as soon as you acknowledge that heaven rules. As soon as you humble yourself and acknowledge that heaven rules, then things will be restored to you. The next section says, The sentence executed. Verse 28, All this happened to King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of 12 months, as he was walking on the roof of the palace, now, now, now listen to what he was doing, okay? At the end of 12 months, as he was walking on the roof of the royal palace in Babylon, verse 30, the king exclaimed, is this not, or is, is this not Babylon the Great? Now, here's, here's the key part. He says, is this not Babylon the Great that I have built to be a royal residence by my vast power and for my majestic glory. So I can Im imagine him or envision him walking on, uh, on the roof of the palace, uh, observing all that is the greatness of Babylon. He's on the rooftop. He's looking out. He said, this is magnificent. You know, he says, is this not Babylon the great that I have built? You know, so he's feeling himself, right? He's looking around saying, look, this is magnificent. I've done all this, you know, by my vast power and my, for my majestic glory. <laughs> Verse 31, while the words was, were still in the king's mouth, these words are still coming out of his mouth, a voice came from heaven. King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is declared that the kingdom has departed from you. You will be driven away from people to live with the wild animals and you will feed on the grass like cattle for seven periods of time until you acknowledge that the most high is ruler over uh, human kingdoms and he gives them to anyone he wants. See, this isn't about you. You see, God gives this stuff to anybody he wants for whatever reason he chooses that person. You're thinking that, you know, this is all about me. I've done all this stuff. But no, no, no. You have to acknowledge that God is the ruler over all human kingdoms and you aren't anything special because he gives them to whoever he wants. Verse 33. At that moment, the message against Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. He was driven away from people. 
He ate grass like cattle, and his body was drenched with dew from the sky, until his hair grew like eagles, uh, like eagles' feathers, and his nails like birds' claws. So we can see that Nebuchadnezzar was a rough-looking dude at this point, right? So he's out there amongst the wild animals, got no haircuts, nothing, no, no grooming going on. His nails have grown crazy. His hair is crazy. He's just looking crazy. And so. Next section says Nebuchadnezzar's praise in verse 34. Uh, but at the end of those days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, looked up to the heaven and my sanity returned to me. Then I praised the Most High and honored uh, and glorified him who lives forever. See, So at the end of those days, he got his sanity back, right? And he started to recognize the, 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 the deficiency of his ways. And so he started acknowledging the Most High. Down in verse 36, it says, my advisors and nobles, so after this happened, my advisors and nobles sought me out. I was reestablished over my kingdom and even more greatness came to me. See, So after I acknowledged that the Lord is who he is, after I had been humbled, then everything started to come back to me. Everything, everything started to return to me. It says in verse 37, Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise, exalt, and glorify the king of the heavens, because all his works are true and his ways are just. He is able to humble those who walk in pride. And this is the last, last that we hear from Nebuchadnezzar in the Bible. His last words. He is able to humble those who walk in pride. And he can say that experientially. He can say that because that is exactly what happened to him. <clears throat> Let's go on to chapter 5. And chapter 5 says uh, uh, Belshazzar's feast. So Belshazzar is the, is the king after Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, not exactly sure where he falls. He's in Nebuchadnezzar's line. Some think he's his, grand, uh, his grandchild, um, second grandchild. I don't know. But anyway, he follows King Nebuchadnezzar. And it says in verse 1, uh, King Belshazzar held a great feast for a thousand of his nobles and drank wine in their presence. Under the influence of the wine, uh, Belshazzar gave orders to bring the gold and silver vessels uh, that his predecessor Nebuchadnezzar had taken from the temple in Jerusalem so that the king and his nobles, wives, and, concubi and concubines could drink from them. And I could just see this. There's a thousand people in there, right? So a concubine is, as we would call today, the side chick. So <laughs> he's got, they've got wives, girlfriends, you know, all these other kind of people, along with nobles and, uh, you know, a thousand folks having a good time. And so they're drinking wine. He sends for the golden goblets. They bring them back. They pour them in the, in the gold cups and start drinking and having fun. It says in verse 4, They drank the wine and praised their gods made of gold and silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. And so they're drinking the wine out of these golden cups, these golden goblets that were taken from the temple in Jerusalem and brought to Babylon. So they're drinking out of the Lord's cups and they're praising their idols, their gods, while they're drinking out of the Lord's cups. The next section says the handwriting on the wall. That's where the phrase comes from, the writings on the wall. Anyway, verse 5. At that moment, the fingers of a man held uh, the fingers of a man's hand appeared and began writing on the plaster of the king's palace wall next to the lampstand. 
As the king watched the hand that was writing, his face turned pale, and his thoughts so terrified him that he soiled himself, and his knees knocked together. So what he was seeing, it scared the you-know-what out of him, right? In verse 7, it says, The king shouted to bring in the Medians and Chaldeans and diviners. So he said, Bring in the people that can help me with this. So, so all the king's wise men came in, but none could read the inscription or make its interpretation. No. And so we see here that the king is terrified. He doesn't even know what this thing is, is, is said. He doesn't even know what's being written on the wall. All he knows is he sees his hand that's writing stuff on the wall, and he's terrified, and nobody can interpret it. It says uh, in verse 10, because of the outcry of the king and his nobles, the queen came to the banquet hall. May the king live forever, she said. Don't let your thoughts terrify you or your face uh, be pale. So this is his wife, right? The wife comes in and says, look, dog, don't, don't be terrified. Don't, don't, don't be pale. We'll figure this out. In verse 11, it says, there is a man in your kingdom who has the spirit of the holy gods in him. In the days of your predecessor, he, found to have he was found to have insight, intelligence, and wisdom like the wisdom of the gods. Your predecessor, King Nebuchadnezzar, appointed him chief of the magicians, mediums, and Chaldeans. Your own, predece your own predecessor, the king, um, you know, see, your own predecessor, the king, did this because Daniel, the one the king named Belteshazzar, was found to have an extraordinary spirit, knowledge, and intelligence. Therefore, summon Daniel, and he will give the interpretation. Next section says, Daniel before the king. In verse 13, then Daniel was brought before the king. Now the wise men and mediums, uh, and mediums were brought before me, uh, said the king, to read this inscription and make its interpretation known to me, but they could not give its interpretation. However, I have heard about you that you can give interpretations and solve problems. Therefore, if you can read this inscription and give me its interpretation, you will be clothed in purple, have a gold chain around your neck, and uh, have the third highest position in the kingdom. In verse 17, then Daniel answered the king, you may keep your gifts and give your rewards to somebody else. So Daniel don't even care about this. However, I will read the inscription for the king and make the interpretation known to him. Your majesty, the most high God gave sovereignty, greatness, glory, and majesty to your predecessor, Nebuchadnezzar. So Daniel's starting to tell king, um, the king about himself. And so he's saying, look, the most high God gave sovereignty, you know, greatness, glory, majesty to your predecessor, to your grandfather, you know, if, if that's his grandfather. And then he, he says some more stuff about that. And then in verse 20, he says, but when his heart, when Nebuchadnezzar's heart, um, was exalted and his spirit became arrogant. He was deposed from his royal throne and his glory was taken from him. He was driven away from the people and Daniel starts to tell the king all the things that happened to Nebuchadnezzar. In verse 22, it says, but you, his successor, Belshazzar, uh, have not humbled your heart, even though you knew all of this stuff, even though you knew all of this stuff that happened to Nebuchadnezzar, you didn't humble your heart. You knew everything he went to because he was proud and arrogant. But you, even having witnessed that, have not humbled your heart. Instead, you have exalted yourself against the Lord of the heavens. The vessels of this house were brought to you. And as you and your nobles, wives, and concubines drank wine from them, you praised the gods made of silver and gold, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. 
which do not see or hear or understand, but you have not glorified the God who holds your life breath in his hands and who controls the whole course of your life. You sent for these golden cups. You poured the wine in it, and then you started exalting other gods, even though they can't hear or see or do anything. And you've said nothing to the one who holds your life in his hand, and you're drinking out of his cups. Therefore, he sent the hand, and this writing was inscribed. So finally, Daniel is going he's, to, he, he's prepped the king. Now he's going to tell him what this inscription means. The inscription's interpretation, uh, verse 25. This is the writing that is inscribed, Mene, Mene, Tekel, Parson. This is the interpretation of the message. Mene means that God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. Whew. Tekel means that you have been weighed on the balance and have been found deficient. Perez means that your kingdom has been divided and given to the um, to the Medes and Persians. <clears throat> that's that's pretty ominous, you know, ominous, I should say. In verse 30, uh, that very night, Belshazzar, the king of the Chaldeans, was killed, and Darius uh, the Mede received the kingdom at age 62. <clears throat> so... The inscription was pretty ominous, and Daniel told him what the deal was, and he paid the price for his arrogance. Let's go on to chapter 6, and it says the plot against Daniel. <clears throat> Verse 1, Darius, King Darius, decided to appoint 120 satraps over the kingdom stationed throughout the realm, and over them three administrators, including Daniel. Daniel distinguished himself above the administrators and satraps because he had an extraordinary spirit and the king planned to set him over the whole realm. So the king is going to make Daniel essentially second in charge over everybody else. Now you can imagine that that didn't sit well, to every, well with everybody. In verse 4, the administrators and satraps therefore kept trying to find a charge against Daniel regarding the kingdom, but they could find no charge or corruption. For he was trustworthy, and no negligence or corruption was found in him. They couldn't find anything on him. They couldn't blackmail him with anything. They couldn't take anything to the king and said, look, this dude is deficient. He was clean. He was clean. They had nothing on him. Then these men said, we will never find any charge against Daniel unless we find something against him concerning the law of his God. If we can find something that will put pit the law of his God against, let's say, the law of the land, then we can have something against him. So the administrators and satraps went together to the king and said to him, May King Darius live forever. All the, administration, all the administrators of the kingdom, the prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors have agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an edict that for 30 days, anyone who petitions any god or man except you, the king, will be thrown into the lion's den. So they go before the king. So what are they going to use? They're going to use flattery. You know, they go before the king. King, you're so great. You're so awesome. We think you should pass a law. We think you should author and pass a law. And that law should say that for a month, 
Nobody can worship anything or anybody except you. That's it, because you're so magnificent. And so, <laughs> you know, the king was like, thought it over. He was like, yeah. So King Darius signed the written edict. And so he made an edict that said, look, nobody can worship anything or anybody for the next month, you know, unless it's worshiping me. That's it. Verse 10, Daniel in the lion's den. It says, when Daniel learned that the document had been signed, he went into his house. The windows, um, the windows in its upstairs room opened toward Jerusalem. And three, days, uh, three times a day, he got down on his knees, prayed, and gave thanks to his God, just as he had done before. So Daniel heard about the edict, heard about the new policy for the next month, and he praised his God. He prayed to his God anyway. It didn't matter. Verse 12, so they approached the king and asked about his edict. And so he said, king, didn't you, didn't you sign this edict? Didn't you? And, and so the king answered, as the law of the Medes and Persians, the order stands. It is irrevocable. It can't be changed. And so the king says, yeah, I did it. And it can't be changed. It stands. And so then they said, Daniel, one of the Judean uh, exiles, has ignored you. And the edict you signed, for he prays three times a day. See, so they set the king up, right? They say, hey, you know, your boy, second in command here, he's still uh, doing his thing, and he's not obeying the edict. Verse 14, as soon as the king heard this, he was very displeased. He set his mind on rescuing Daniel and made every effort until sundown to deliver him. So, he wasn't necessarily displeased with Daniel. He was displeased with the situation because he, he um, I don't know if he worshiped Daniel, but he had a, a high degree of esteem for Daniel. And he didn't want to see any harm come to Daniel. And so he was blindsided because they appealed to his uh, ego. He was blindsided and manipulated by his other advisors into doing something that they knew was going to uh, result in harming Daniel. And so the king is like, oh, man. And so in verse 15, the knees men uh, went together to the king and said to him, you know, your majesty, that it is a law of the Medes and Persians that no edict or ordinance the king establishes can be changed. <laughs> you know, your majesty, you know, you wrote this law and it can't be changed. And so <laughs> they're going back to him, telling him what he already knows, just to make sure that he follows through on what he's supposed to do. Verse 16, so the king gave the order, and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, may your God, to whom you continually serve, rescue you. And so we can tell that the king, that the king means this. You know, he doesn't want any harm to befall Daniel. But he has to do this because he made an edict without thinking it through, because they appealed to his ego. It's just a word of caution, man. I mean, you got to be careful with regard to... What you hear, who you hear it from, how you hear it, and, and whether or not uh, attempts are being made to manipulate you. Because when you're in a state of rage or when you're in a state of flattery, you know, those two things can just bypass your intellect. They can bypass your reason and rationale. And you can just do things because of how you're feeling and then realize later it may not have been in your best interest. <clears throat> says in verse 18, then the king went into his palace and spent the night fasting. He was so distraught, he went and he started fasting. Um, 
No diversions were brought to him, and he could not sleep. Oops. Let's see. No, no, no diversions. Let me go down here. Duh, 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 duh. Let's see. I got to, I lost my place here. He can now, okay, here we go. Daniel release, verse 19. It says, at the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. And so he couldn't sleep. And so when it got dawn, he got up and hurried to the lion's den. Verse 21, then Daniel spoke with the king. May the king live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouths um, and they haven't harmed me. For I was found innocent before him, and also before you, your, majest your majesty, I have not done harm. I was found innocent before my God, and, and you, your majesty, I haven't done any harm to you. So I was uh, found innocent. Verse 23, the king was overjoyed and gave orders to take Daniel out of the den. When Daniel was brought up from the den, he was found to be unharmed, for he trusted his God. The king gave the command. Now the king, now the king is thinking straight. And those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and thrown into the lion's den. They, their children, and their wives. They had not reached the bottom of the den before the lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones. It was not only the men, it was their household too. Then it says, Darius honors God. In verse 25, then King Darius uh, wrote to those of every people, nation, and language who live on the whole earth, may your prosperity abound. I issue a decree that in all my royal domain, people must tremble in fear before the God of Daniel. He says, this is awesome, for he is the living God and he endures forever. His kingdom will never be destroyed and his dominion has no end. This is coming from King uh, Darius. In verse 28, it says, So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian, who came after Darius. And so we see that, uh, that Daniel had a long run. Uh, we're not done with Daniel, but uh, that is the end of chapter 6. And we'll pick it up in chapter 7 tomorrow. And from 7 through the end of Daniel, are a lot of apocalyptic uh, prophecies, and they can be difficult to follow. <laughs> and, uh, so I'm going to do my best as we get through the next several chapters. And so with that, uh, again, read Rom Romans chapter 8, start in verse 9, you know, and you will see the invitation that the Lord gives to acknowledge his son Jesus as Lord. It's available to all of us. All it takes is a, a sincere belief and a sincere speaking and confessing that he is Lord. With that, take care. Everybody have a blessed day. Bye-bye.